well, it's great to have Katie join our praise team today. She's a student over here at uh, Elizabethtown College, and great to have her parents visiting with us also, and uh, appreciated our music today. It was great, wasn't it, from the choir all the way through. It was a real blessing this morning, so I really appreciate all those who minister and work so hard at uh, helping us and leading us in worship on a weekly basis. Take your Bibles, turn, if you would, with me this morning to Exodus chapter 20 as we continue our E100 series, uh, our looking at five essential stories of the Bible each week, and appreciated the last two weeks, Pastor John's messages, especially last week. It was a great encouragement as I listened to it. I was over in junior church, so I listened to it this week, and really appreciate the challenge that he gave us to, to be involved, all of us, and uh, If you're not involved in ministry here at Mount Calvary Church, I want you to pray about where God would have you to be involved. I want to apologize to you this morning. I am not in proper attire. Today is a communion Sunday, and so you see all the guys have what? Suits. Pulled in the parking lot this morning, and uh, I wore my winter jacket because I was out shoveling the snow off my driveway, got in the car, got up here to the church, and realized I did not have my jacket. So we'll be canceling communion today. We'll not be holy because the pastor doesn't have his jacket on to serve it this morning. But anyway, I'm sorry about that. So stone tablets in a wireless world. Are the Ten Commandments really relevant? Are they really for today? Are they really for today? When we think about it, these were... Commandments given by God in the Old Testament there on Mount Sinai. So when we, when we think about these Ten Commandments, were they laws only for the Israelites as a seal of the Old Testament covenant? So were they really just for Israel? There are some people who believe that. Or maybe when we stop and think about the law, is it, was the law wiped out at the cross? When Jesus died on the cross and we moved into the age of grace, is We don't need the law anymore, right? So the law was done away with. Is that true? Or maybe it's, you think, we're we're totally under grace today. This is the age of grace. The the Bible is about grace. Even when we talk about giving in the New Testament, we talk about giving by grace. Or I've heard people say, you know, we're not living under the Old Testament. You know, we're under the New Testament. That's Old Testament teaching. This is New Testament teaching. So, so how does it fit in? How do these commandments that were written on a stone fit into a society that doesn't even hardly write on paper anymore? How do they fit in? Well, this morning, I think to understand how they fit in, we have to understand the purpose of the commandments. And we're going to look at three purposes for the Ten Commandments this morning for a few minutes. But before we do that, I want you to think about this. I want you to think about a man who sits on death row. And it's coming close to the 12th hour when he's, going to, when he's condemned and he's going to be put to death. And all of a sudden, the governor calls the prison and he says, I have decided to, decided to pardon this criminal. I've decided to pardon him. And so I pardon him and that man walks away from death. He's no longer under the condemnation of death. But let me ask you, is that man still under law? Now, 
Is he still under law? So when he, when he leaves the prison or he goes back into the prison, maybe he's not going to die, but he's going to spend the rest of his life in prison. Is he still under the law? Is he? Or can he now kill a prison guard and it would be okay? No. That's, 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 you know, that, that thinking is not right at all. That's absurd. But when people say that, listen, we're not under law, we're under grace, that's just as absurd to say that the law has no meaning in our life today. You know, the Bible says in Romans chapter 1, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There's no condemnation. If you sit here today and you know Jesus Christ is your Savior and you're on your way to heaven, you're not living under condemnation. But if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Bible says that you're condemned right now. You're condemned to eternity in hell, separated from God forever. But if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're not condemned. Even though you're not condemned, that doesn't set you free from the law. We still have to live under the law. So, there are three purposes this morning that I want you to see for the Ten Commandments. Let's pray, and then we're going to consider those this morning. Father in heaven, we do thank you for this day, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity to be able to come and to lift up your name in praise. Father, to be able to uh, sing, to be able to be ministered to through music. Father, I pray this morning for about this next half hour that you would just help us to be able to focus on the word of God. I pray that, Lord, you would take these Ten Commandments, and Lord, that you would renew them in our heart as we learn what they're all about and why you gave them. Lord, I pray, even as we see how you reiterated them in the New Testament for us, Father, I pray, Lord, it's not about keeping the law to get to heaven. We get to heaven totally by grace. But even after salvation, there's still the law there for us. Lord, and I pray that we'll see that this morning as we look at these purposes of the law. I pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. In the New Testament, sin is defined as falling short of the glory of God. In Romans 3.23 and again in 1 John 1, 3 and 4. And it says that if we fall short of the glory of God, that this is sin. And so also sin is talked about as breaking the law. So it's about falling short of the glory of God, and it's also about breaking the law. So when you put these two thoughts together, you put these true, true, two truths together, and you discover if sin is falling short of the glory of God and breaking the law, then we can reasonably conclude that the law is an expression of God's glory. The law is an expression of God's glory. And we never think about the law as giving us a glimpse of who God is and giving you a glimpse of God's glory. It's a total different way of looking at the law instead of just a set of rules that I have to look at. No, these laws were to help us to see what a great and awesome and glorious God that we serve and that we have. And so quickly this morning, let me just run through those and just share with you how that works and how that is seen this morning. 
We, we see, first of all, when we think about the law, when the, the first one says, or the first commandment, it says, do not have any other gods besides me. In Exodus chapter 2, verse 3, this says there is no one like him. There's no one like God. There's no one like God. He is the greatest. He is the only God there is. Now, there's many gods in this world, but there is only one true God, and that is God Yahweh of the Old Testament, the God that we serve. And so there's no one like him, this teaches. The second commandment there that says, do not make any idol for, for yourself, whether in the shape of anything, in the heavens above or in the earth below or in the waters under the earth. You must not bow down to them or worship them, for I am the Lord your God and I am a jealous God. We see when we make an idol, it detracts from God's glory. So when you make an idol, it detracts. It detracts from his glory. The very purpose that you were created for was what? Say it louder to what? His glory. I don't, I'm not really sure you're convinced about that. Why were you created? For his glory, to bring glory to God. That's why you exist. That's why you're here, because your life ought to be bringing glory to God in everything you do, everything you say, everything ought to bring glory to God. Your life ought to reflect the glory of God. And when we serve other images, that's not reflecting God's glory. So it's there to it's help us to see it's a detraction from God's glory when we, when we set up other idols. And then we go on and we see um, in verse 7, Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God, because the Lord will not leave anyone unpunished who misuses his name. At his name, the Bible says, every knee shall bow. There are people today who say, I'll never bow to God. But according to Revelation, there will be a day that every human being bows before God. Again, because he is the only God. It reminds us here. It reminds us. It says in the next one, it says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. You are the labor six days and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath day to the Lord your God. Where was the Sabbath first created? Where? At Genesis. It reminds us that God is the creator. That everything, God not only is the creator, but according to Colossians, he is the sustainer of everything that he has created. And so the, again, these Ten Commandments remind us of His glory, the glory that He created. Everything that you put your eyes on, God created everything around us. It reminds us that He is the Father. Honor your father or mother so that you may have a long life in the land and, uh, um, that the Lord your God has given you. It reminds us that He is the Father, our Heavenly Father, who loves us and cares for us. It reminds us that he sustains life. Do not murder. God is the sustainer of life. It reminds us also of his faithfulness. When we think, thou, uh, do not commit adultery. Adultery is unfaithfulness. But God is what? He is faithful in everything he does. So it's a reminder of his faithfulness. It's a reminder of his trustworthiness. Do not steal. It reminds us that God is a God that we can trust. Everything that he writes in his word, every promise he makes to you, he will fulfill. He's a trustworthy God. 
Not only does it remind us of that, it reminds us that God is truth. Do not give false testimony against your neighbor. Do not lie. Why? Listen, because God is a God of truth. And then lastly, God is at peace and contentment in himself. Do not covet your neighbor's house. Do not covet your neighbor's wife, his male, his male or female slave, his ox or his donkey, anything that belongs to your neighbor. Covetousness. But on the other side, see, within himself, God is at total peace and contentment with who he is. God doesn't need you or me to be content. God doesn't need you or me to be at peace. God is at total peace. And so these Laws were given to help us understand what a glorious and awesome God we serve. A second reason that these laws were given, a second reason is to deal with the battles of our heart. Every one of these laws deal with a battle of our heart. Take your Bibles this morning, if you would, and turn to that portion of Scripture, if you would, over in the book of Mark. Mark chapter 12. Jesus, writing here in the New Testament, gives us a tremendous summary of the Ten Commandments, the t- uh, a tremendous summary of the law. And what he says here, verse, we'll start with verse 28, Mark chapter 12. One of the scribes, One of the scribes approached. When he heard them debating and saw that Jesus answered them well, he asked him, which command is the most important of all? So this scribe hears this conversation going on, and he comes to Christ, and he says, Jesus, what is the the greatest commandment? What's What's the most important? Out of the Ten Commandments, what's the most important? This is the most important, Jesus answered. Listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Jesus takes these Ten Commandments that we have in the Old Testament, and he shrinks them down, if you would, into two. Two commandments he gives you. Now, within those two commandments, all the others are in there. The first four, the first four commandments that we look at deal with our struggle to love God. And we all struggle with these things we're going to look at this morning. So the first four, when he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul, and all your strength, that deals with the first four commandments. And so let's look at them real quick again and, and see how we struggle with them. The very first commandment says, the, to the first command says that we are to what? Love God, that there is no other God. When we go back there to Exodus chapter 20, again, that first commandment, do not have any other gods beside me. So we, we find it hard to have only one God. Adam and Eve struggled with this in the garden, did they? didn't they? Because what did Satan say? If you eat this fruit, you will be what? Just like God. 
You'll be, you'll, you'll be just like God. You'll be God yourself. And so one of the reasons they ate of that fruit was to become like God, to become little gods themselves. And so we find it hard. And, and I say this often, what you put before God is your God. You want to you know what gods you serve? Look at how much time, talent, and treasure you put into things. That'll tell you who your God is. It will. It will tell you who your God is by the amount of time, talent, and treasure you put into something. If all of your treasure goes into the things of this world and all of your talent and time goes into the things of this world, then that's your God. He says, you'll have no other God because he knew that in, in us there would be a struggle for every one of us would struggle with having other gods. The test of our love, our time, our talent, the test of our trust. When you get into a tough spot, who do you put your trust in? That'll show you who your God is. The second thing, he says, you will struggle to give or to offer authentic worship. You will struggle with giving authentic worship. No idols. Things that take the place of God. Somebody once asked, they had taken a tour of 10th Street Prez in Philadelphia, tremendous church. Great preaching of God's word has taken place there. And if you've gone there, you'll notice there's no crosses in that place. And somebody once asked, why? Why is there no crosses in this great church? The pastor said, you know why? He says, because we don't worship the cross. The cross is our message. It's not what we worship. And you know, we can worship a cross and we can wear it around our neck and we can worship all kinds of things. But we need to be worshiping God. We can have idols of the heart. The Bible talks often about idols of the heart. Power, prestige, position. Those things can become idols to us. They can become our gods. The next one, the next one we struggle with. The next one is you will battle to speak in a way that honors me. You will struggle to speak in a way that honors me. Sometimes we take, people take the name of God in vain, using God's name to advance our own agendas. I've heard people say, well, you know, the Lord told me to do this, and I believe often that is using God's name in the wrong way. I have to tell you, I struggle with the name of God being on t-shirts and things and being taken so lightly. I, just my personal, you know, um, I hear Christians even sometimes make jokes about God and his name. And listen, his name is something special. And so we will we'll struggle to honor God for who he is. And then we will battle over giving him our time. Keep the Sabbath. Giving him our time, we'll battle over that because we'll want to give our time to all kinds of other things. And so he says, these first four really is about my struggle to love God more than this world, more than anything. And so I would ask you this morning, are you struggling to love God more than this world? 
If somebody was to follow you around, would they be able to say that you have a love for God more than a love for this world? Would they be able to say that? And then he gives us the next six, which deal with loving your neighbor or loving others, loving those that we come in contact with, loving those that we work with. And so these six really deal with other people, not with God. And so the first one, he said, you're going to struggle with authority. You're going to struggle with authority. That's about honoring your father or mother. Teenagers, guys sitting in the back there, listen, the most important thing in life you have to learn right now is to honor your parents. Teenagers sitting around the auditorium, the most important thing you have to learn is to honor your father or mother and to live under their authority. They are God's umbrella of protection that God has given to you. And parents, the the greatest lesson that you need to teach your children when they're small is to live under your authority. Because if they're not living under your authority and your rules and regulations, you're not helping them when they get out into the world to live under the authority of their of teachers and, the, and their employers and those that they will be under their life. A lot of people really struggle with this. They don't want to be under anybody. And in Scripture, God teaches us that we need to learn to live under authority. Authority is an umbrella of protection for us. You say, well, you know, sometimes that authority isn't too good. Well, the reality of it is, is you know what? There's a tremendous story in the Bible that, that I love of the story, and I think a great example of David and Jonathan, these two men uh, who had this love for each other, but Jonathan had a dad who wasn't too good. His name was King Saul. And King Saul was out to get David. He was jealous of David. So he chased him all around trying to kill him. And David had several opportunities to do what? To kill him. And no, he would not do that because he was the king that God had put in place. And even though he was a horrible king and even though he made bad decisions and even though he was trying to chase David, David respected his place of authority. Both David and Jonathan respected his place of authority, and they learned to live under that authority that was not too good. The next one, he says here, battle, we're going to battle with ongoing hostility. Thou shall not murder. And so in the New Testament, he gives us a higher standard. He said, if you hate someone, that's just like committing murder. And all of us are going to struggle. There are people that come across our path that I call them difficult people. And we're all going to struggle with them. We're all going to have times. And and so if we don't have the right attitudes and we don't have a spirit of forgiveness when people hurt us, we're going to struggle with this thing of hostility. And then the next one, God says, we're going to struggle with sexual purity. And you know, we live in a society that's going to promote sexual immorality. Pastor John was talking to me this week, and I've read a lot of articles about this. When we talk about social justice and those things, do you know this week in New Orleans, thousands and thousands of young girls will be brought into New Orleans for the purpose of prostitution? Do you know the biggest time of prostitution in the United States happens every year in the Super Bowl cities. 
And then the other time, that the greatest time when young ladies are brought for their bodies to be prostituted is at the Democratic and the Republic conventions. We live in a sick world, people. I'll watch the Super Bowl tonight, but there'll be times I'll have to turn the channel because of the commercials. Mercedes-Benz, they were, adver- they were sharing with a, a, uh, about a commercial that's been on the, um, out there this week for people to see. Um, and the question was, is it too sexual? I'm going to tell you this, it is too sexual. So I had to flip it off myself when they were showing it yesterday on the news. And this is a, this is a place where even amongst Christians today... Um, God takes that, you know, beyond the physical adultery to even mental adultery. He says, if a man looks upon a woman to lust after her, he's what? He's committed adultery with her already in his mind. We live in a very sexual-oriented society. You know, the Bible talks often, and we don't talk about this word much, but it talks about defrauding. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 6 says, Don't defraud your Christian brother or sister. You say, well, how, how can you defraud? Let me tell you something, moms and dads. When you send your daughter out of the house and you, she's not dressed in a proper way, when she's not dressed to bring attention to her face, when you dress her and you let her walk out of the house and you're looking to bring attention to her breast or to someplace else, you're, def- you're letting your daughter defraud men. You say, really? Yes. That's what defrauding is, stirring up sexual desires that cannot be righteously fulfilled except in marriage. And let me just say, dads and moms, you ought to look at your daughters when you send them out into the world to make sure they're not defrauding men. You say, well, it's the men's fault for looking. No, yes, it is the men's fault for looking, but listen, you need to be careful about how you dress them also. And that's... You know, why we live in such a society that even I see it amongst Christians today that we're not cognizant of, of this thing, of, of this thing of sexual immorality. And then it's rampant. You need, to, you need to look at where your kids are, on, you know, where they're visiting on their computers and on their phones. You need to be looking at those things, moms and dads, because there's a lot of sexual things that are going on on Facebook and on other, a lot of sexual chatter that goes on on Twitter. And so this is an area today that is reality. And so, so he writes this here to us about this, the battle for sexual purity. And then he, then he talks about the battle for integrity. You shall not steal. Talks about gaining advantage at the expense of others, whether it's others' property or whether it's others' position or whether it's others' identity. Today, identity theft, it's all about stealing and so it's about gaining. And then he talks about the battle for honesty. That we're going to battle with this thing of being honest. Exaggerating stories, misrepresenting the truth, lying. All of those things. And then he talks about battle over contentment. We shall not covet. We shall not covet. I see, I want, I'm not happy with what I have, I'm not satisfied with what I have, I want more. 
And he said, we're going to struggle with those things. And so I've given you these to remind you of your struggle and to help you. And he's given us a lot of other scripture around those things. And so when we think about this, the, 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 new, the law was laid out for us again to be able to see our struggle. But thirdly, the law was given for us to show our need for Christ. Psalms 19.7 says, the law is perfect, converting the soul. It's perfect. It's converting. It's meant for the purpose of bringing people to Christ. It's to show us that we're a sinner and that we, ha- we have a need for Christ. Galatians chapter 3, verse 24, the law was our schoolmaster. And when I think about the law, I really think about the law sort of like this. The law, if you would, is the railroad tracks that God has laid down for us. And so here we have these rules, these regulations. These are the tracks. But the track has to have a what? A train to run on. The track by itself is no good. So we, there, there has to be a train. And, and so the, the law, in a sense, is the tracks. But the Holy Spirit is the train. It's the power that God gives us. It's the engine. If you would, listen to this verse. Don't turn there, but just listen to it. Ezekiel 36, 26, and 27. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow to move you to follow my decrees and carefully to keep my laws. At the moment of salvation, God gives us the Holy Spirit to live with inside of us. He knew in this struggle of trying to keep the law, there was no way I would be able to do this myself. There was no way these Ten Commandments that God has laid down to help me through my struggles. He knew I couldn't do it myself. So what did he do? He gave the Spirit of God to live within me to what? To live this Christian life. And as I die to self and the Holy Spirit controls me and he produces the gifts of the Spirit, I'm going to be able to live the law. I'm going to be able to, he's going to help me, the Holy Spirit. He is the engine that runs on the track of law. God never thought that I or you would be able to live to the law anyway and to be able to keep these things that we're going to struggle with in life. So he gave you the Holy Spirit to live with inside of you to be able to have victory. The law of God is like the rails of the train, and the rails give direction. That's what the law is for. It's to give us direction. But the Holy Spirit is in us at salvation to help us to stay on track and to be able to go on that rail. The law is one of God's gifts to his people. And we should thank him for it. In Psalms, David spoke about delighting in God's law. If he could do that, we should certainly do no less. We will delight in God's law when we see that it reflects the glory of his character, that he's given it to us to help us to live out this Christian life and even to bring us to salvation. Those three things are what the law is really all about. So let me ask you this morning as we close, which of the Ten Commandments 
speak to the area of your greatest struggle right now. When you go back and you look through those, what are you really struggling with here today? What, what in your Christian life, what in your Christian walk are you struggling with as we went through those things? Take a moment, identify it. Ask God to make that commandment an area of victory for you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 6.14 says that sin is no longer my master. Why? Because I have the Holy Spirit living within me to help me to overcome these areas that I struggle with. And so this morning, in just a few moments, we're going to go to communion. And if you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, we invite you to take communion today. But the second part of that is this, is that right now, is your relationship right with him? Are, these, are there some things that we've talked about in these Ten Commandments this morning that you're just not dealing with at all? And so maybe, maybe today you want to pray this prayer that I've given to you and put in your notes this morning for you to look at. Heavenly Father, thank you for giving the law to reveal the extent of my sin and to show my need for a Savior. You know I continue at times to struggle with, and you fill it in there. And in so doing, break your commandment too, and then write the commandment. Give me victory in this area by the power of the Holy Spirit who abides within me. Thank you that such victory is available through the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is in his matchless name I pray. So what is it this morning? If you had a, have a pen out and you've been taking the notes and following along, what is it this morning that you're struggling with that maybe you're not really dealing with? You're not really asking the Holy Spirit to help you in this area. You're trying to do it all yourself. And I can tell you this much, in your own strength, there is no way that you can do it. And that's why God gave us the Holy Spirit to live victoriously over sin. Can we bow our heads this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed? Right now, before we go to communion this morning, I want you to think about this prayer. You know... I continue at times to struggle with. And what is it this morning you're struggling with? Is it lying? Do you have hate in your heart for someone right now and you know it's there and you just don't want to deal with it? You just keep pushing it aside. You keep that hate there. You keep holding on to it. Is it you're coveting this morning someone else's thing, someone else's position, someone else's possessions, someone else's power, you're coveting that? Is it immorality? Do you have some things, men, on your computer right now, or are you visiting sites that you know are ungodly and you shouldn't be going there? How about a teenager? How's your dating life? How's your thought life? Are you dressing to bring honor and glory to God and not defrauding your fellow brothers in Christ? 
is it this morning? Would you name it? And in so doing, I'm breaking and then put the commandment there and pray about it. Ask God through the power of the Holy Spirit that indwells you to give you victory. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for, again, these Ten Commandments. Lord, they're not some commandments written on stone thousands of years ago that aren't relevant for a wireless society. They are relevant for us today. Very relevant, Father. Lord, we don't have to keep them to get to heaven. We get to heaven by trusting and putting our faith in you. But they are guidelines even for after salvation for us to live by. And God, I thank you this morning. Even when we don't live by them, that does not negate your love. Your love is not based on what we do. It's not based on us keeping the Ten Commandments. Whether we don't or we do, Lord, you love us just the same. But Lord, I thank you that you've given them to us to help us to have a standard in which to go by. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.